Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. Sir, the possibility of successfully navigating an asteroid field is approximately 3,720 to 1. Never tell me the odds. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones. And this is the Church Planner Podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by Newbreed Training. Newbreed exists to provide you with courses, cohorts, and resources from the Newbreed team, such as yours truly, Andrea Jones, Ralph Moore, Alan Hirsch, Hugh Halter, and many more. To learn to disciple like Jesus so you can plant like Paul, head on over to newbreedtraining.com. And now, back to the Church Planner Podcast. Hey, Church Planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. Great Scott, it's time for this week's topic. Let's take time to the nitty-gritty. <laughs> well, what is today's topic, Pete? He gets us. <laughs> but does he, Pete? Does he really get us? Oh my gosh, man. This has been this has been fun watching. Well, <laughs> I shouldn't say fun. It is fun. I've our conversation fun. in our chat group finally went good. Yeah. But I I have like all I can think of literally. Remember, you gotta see, play Fortnite with these guys tomorrow. So you better you better be nice. They aren't going to hear this till the next week, so it's okay. And I don't think they listen to the podcast. I get a bunch of crown vicks before then. But it's like, all I could think of when I see all these Christians, like, so upset online at these commercials. Yeah, all I can think Super of Bowl. is Michael Cheshire's uh, We Eat Our Own. Yeah. Like, Christians eat their own. And I'm like, dude, this is like, it's really disturbing to me. Mm-hmm seeing how much Christians are just like ripping on other Christians. And it was funny. I saw this morning, actually, someone put up this, uh, this meme that said they spent $14 million on these ads. And if they were real Christians, they could have spent that $14 million, um, feeding clothing and, uh, something else, feeding clothing and housing 14 million people. (laughs) This guy goes, 
wait, it only costs one dollar <laughs> to feed clothing people. I love it when people do that. They do that all the time with like socialism and stuff. It's the funniest stuff when you see that. For this amount, we could have, yeah. You know, it, it, okay, so backstory, those of you that do not or did not watch the Super Bowl, you weirdos. Um, basically the commercial, I will say that that is the first time I've watched the Super Bowl in I don't know how many years. I mean, it could be a decade for all I know, cause I just don't watch sports and it was so stinking long. I was like begging for the stupid thing to be over at the end. Yeah. I'm like, please, will it just end already? <laughs> I was ready to go. Like in the fourth quarter, I was like, all right guys, well, we all know what's going to happen. Uh, team, uh, chiefs are going to come back in the final moments score the winning touchdown. This happens every year. It's the same movie. I watch it every year. I don't know why. Um, in the final moments of the game, someone scores, wins the game, turns the tide. People make a lot of money on bets. Is it rigged? You be the judge. Um, I made that joke on I made that joke on uh, my training, and someone's like, "Peyton, are you suggesting like they took me serious?" And I I said, "No, nah, I'm just having fun." But um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean the the commercials he gets us. I mean uh, it sparked debate in our group, and I guess if I were more on social media, I would know that it was sparking debate online. I only picked that up from our conversation in our chat group, which is our Fortnite chat group. Yeah, and I don't know that it's like spark and debate other than you have – I got to be careful how I word this because I don't want to go to the word I wanted to go to. But you just have these people who are like so condemning Yeah, these commercials. Like they didn't do it right, and now you got all these – these are the commercials they should have done. I'm like, are you serious, man? Are you serious? They're starting conversations, and I'm like – and also there was one commercial that was like, who's your neighbor? Yeah. And like, it was like, it's the people you don't like. It's the people. And I'm like, dude, they're totally right. They're a hundred percent there. That is exactly what Jesus was making his point. Right. And it's just like, everyone's skipping that one and going, well, no, no, I can still hate you. I can yeah. hate you because you're not doing it right. And I'm like, dude, are you serious, man? This is crazy. Right. Yeah, no. So it's funny because um, even when that person says, "Man, they spent fourteen million. They could have spent that." Um, when uh, Jesus was being anointed for his burial by what we believe uh, was Mary Magdalene, um, Judas, his sneering voice cuts across the air. What a waste! Like he's right. disgusted. Jesus is blessed. Judas is like, with that money, we could have fed the poor. Stop and think about and it. And then it also says, and he was the treasurer. And he, he was stealing. He was pilfering. Yeah. So, so stop and think. These people making this, like this is where you just learn people are full of crap. Like the people that are saying that are not good with their finances. They don't understand how money works. $14 million is nothing to a mega church. $14 million is being wasted by local churches in your city like nothing. Like, you know, trust me, the mismanagement of funds is not seen by the he gets us people. That's a bargain for what they were able to pull off and do, right? Um, so I, <laughs> I, I, uh, I hear that, and then I think, are you unaware of how much money is wasted by the church um, on things that really don't matter? 
Um, now I know during the Christmas production, when people were showing people fly through the air and they always criticize that one church and the same reels make it back every year. There's a couple things. Number one, America has a pastime and the pastime we've talked about this is like rage, rage, talk, and anger. Mm. We have a political system that polarizes us and you know, what we often find ourselves victim to is the rage baiting. Um, we get rage baited on almost everything. If there's something that happens, make no mistake, there will be a polarized division of people into two groups. Rare will you see someone who's in the middle who goes, well, you know, I can see your point. I can see your point and this and that. Um, but there will be a polarization where all of a sudden champions will come out for each side because we as an American culture have been programmed to do that uh, from the Whigs and Tories, you know, from uh, Republican, Democrat, right and left. That has always existed. It will always be there. But America is unique in that we have a bipartisan system that just generates constant polarization. Why is it that all Republicans think the same on the issue? Why is it all Democrats think the same on the issue? Is it because there just happens to be people on either side that agree on, you know, anywhere from 30 to 50 topics and just happen to fall in the equal bipartisan camps? Or is it conditioning? Is it that people don't think as critically as they believe they do? Um, I would argue the latter. I don't think America is known for deep critical thinking, first off. And the conditioning we fall into is predictable. And I will say that on this, um, you can divide the response to this into right and left very easily um, in the sense of there is an anger response and a compassion response. There is mercy and judgment in both cases that does exist, that does parallel or follow parallel tracks in our lives. The question is, which flavor are you? And the reason I ask that, Andrea on Sunday made this amazing analogy. Um, we have a bunch of youth in our church. So she took uh, lemon juice and filled up a, a lemonade pitcher with a bunch of lemon juice and poured some lemonade and was like, hey, you know, try this. And um, uh, it was really bitter. And she had another uh, pitcher of sugar water. And she had like a vial, like a thermos of sugar water. And she said, this is, this is an essential component of lemonade. And uh, she goes, do you guys want to try some lemonade? They said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so she gives them. It's just pure lemon juice. Super bitter, super tart, not pleasant to drink, acidic. That's what it looks like when you're all judgment. That's what you taste like. That's your flavor of a Christian. Mm. And Andrea goes, the only thing that's missing out of this, she goes, and she holds up this thermos. She says, it's sugar water. And she goes, this is, this is mercy and compassion. And she pours it in there. And she goes, now. Now drink it. And they drink it and they're like, oh, yeah. She's like, what do you think now? They're like, it's it's pleasant. And she goes, right. There's a balance. But primarily, if if you're if you're all one and not the other, then nobody's going to want to drink you, right? Um, no one's going to want to. You taste terrible. And that's how you taste to the world. That's what religion tastes like. And I would say that. The commercial, which was He Gets Us, um, there were a couple of them, right? There was the one that had Jesus washing the feet, or, well, I guess it it had all these Not polarized Jesus, yeah. people. Yeah. 
washing the feet. And then it says Jesus did not preach hate. And they are purposefully uh, there to nail everyone to the wall to show that we all preach hate. All of us do. We all hate people. And I thought, man, what a brilliant way to bring people sent out. It's like South Park. You get away with it because you just nailed everybody to the wall. You just exposed everyone's sin. We're all the same. And religious or non-religious, you have hate in your heart. If you're not honest about that, maybe try a different religion because Christianity is all about, hey, you don't got this. You're not perfect. But, yeah, I mean, then at the end it says Jesus did not preach hate. He washed people's feet. And people had a problem with that message. Yeah. It was it was really interesting to me, especially like in our, our chat group, one of the guys goes, or you asked, you know, what are the two most important commandments? So he comes up with two and you're like, well, actually, it's, you know, these two, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then you go, and then you said something along the lines of, and remember, Jesus had to give them a long story to explain to them, everyone's your neighbor. <laughs> right. The Samaritan. Yeah. Is the best neighbor in this story, right? Today, you would say the LGBT person is yeah. that's Jesus might use that today to tell this because he picked the worst thing they could think of. So imagine today, Jesus telling that parable and he tells a good Samaritan and it's a trans person who, did, and then he says, now, who was the neighbor in this story? You see, that's how powerful that story was to them that this Samaritan pagan compromiser who was an idolater at heart, ended up being the neighbor. And Jesus just like mic drops it, like, there you go. I guess you got to love everybody. So for that Super Bowl commercial, it's exactly what it what Jesus was teaching. It did not deviate. What I think that people still have a problem with is that 2,000 years on, Jesus is still radical. He's way more radical than the church is. I I think if we live back then, like honestly, imagine you haven't read the Gospels and Jesus appears today to the church and starts doing things. You mean to tell me if Jesus started saying those kinds of things today that the evangelical church would not lose their freaking minds? Mm. I guarantee you. And and here's here's one of the things the the 1904-05 revival was uh, in Wales. It started in South Wales, um, Swansea, where I lived, right down the street from me, actually, Mariah Chapel. Um, that <laughs> that was an accident. I didn't mean to move there. But um, that chapel, um, ex- well, all over South Wales, to the point where um, the newspapers hit it. It's why it became so famous. And um, the guy who... Uh, covered it was a really famous journalist and he was like i just have to write about this there's like churches are exploding with people like coal miners steel workers like all these blue collar people just flocking to faith and there was this one minister who was a really he wrote for the papers he was really public he was kind of popular before all this and he was just angry at the revival, they don't preach enough, right? Just like the Asbury thing. As soon as the Asbury thing happened, and I'm in a I'm in a master class group with the guy who is at the center of that, and I got to tell you, I'm impressed. He's such a humble dude. Mm. He's just, he's a neat guy. 
and I, I meeting him and getting to know him, um, it's very obvious to me why God used him because mm. he's just a normal guy and didn't think he was anything special and still doesn't, you know, they'll invite him and it'll be like, I hope they know, like, I can't make this happen again. Like I don't have that kind of power. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just me, you know, um, I, I can't do that. And so for me, it's, it's, it's funny because there was this minister that just attacked and there was a, there was a guy who wrote a song in Wales. Um, he did a musical about the 0405 revival and he has this, um, this, uh, <laughs> this is the sermon I listened to, by the way, last night from refuge. It was funny. So prodigal son, he does this song about this minister and it's supposed to be this minister singing a song and he's, and he's singing to God and he's saying, I'm just so angry at you because all my life I served you and I worshiped you and I preached the gospel for you. Why him? Why is the spirit on him? Uh, Evan Robbins, a coal miner, he's not even a minister. And the chorus says, you never threw a party for me. You never killed a fatted calf. You never put the ring on my finger. And it's this minister who's angry and bitter because the spirit is working through someone else, someone unlikely. And the incredible power of that song is that it takes us back to <laughs> the prodigal son, where we all see ourselves as the prodigal. But Jesus told that, and it the says the Pharisees realized he was telling the parable about them. The, the, the punchline of the prodigal son is that, look, all of these prostitutes and sinners and tax collectors are coming to me, that God is running at them. They, they did everything wrong. They weren't in the church, and they're running and doing all this other stuff. And there's the religious person standing back saying, I'm not going to this party. And I'm sorry, but when I see that, I even said in the chat, this is why I'm so discouraged about the church at times, because this explains why the world thinks about us the way it does. And they're right. They are right about us. We are well, the older brother. The, the thing that I keep thinking about when it comes to those commercials is I believe, I believe they were using them to start conversations. Yeah. It's exactly what it is. And as I look at that, I'm like, I loved it, right? Like I'm watching yeah. the commercials. And I'm like, I don't see anything wrong with what they're saying. Nope. And, you know, some biblical. people are like, well, they're not great commercial. And I'm like, who gives a rip, dude? <laughs> like, seriously, like, if you really think all those other commercials were great, then I don't know. You're just whatever, dude. I but like I, that. I, that was some people's complaints. Well, they're just not good. It's typical, you know, trashy Christian, you know, movie type thing. And I'm like, dude, seriously, it's starting conversations. But all I can think of is how many stories have we seen where God uses the thing that we can get often bent out of shape on yeah. and he uses it to bring people to him. Dude, Billy Graham. I mean, I remember being in the reform camp. For years, you guys, like for years. So like you have to understand when I hear people talking about the real gospel, you know, like you got to understand, I love to this day, I love R.C. Sproul. 
Um, I have Piper's complete works on my shelf. I've read everything Lloyd Jones has ever. I mean, I I was the evangelist at his church. I mean, try to tell me I don't know the gospel. Try to t- I've got a master's in theology. Um, I was trained by most of the people that Lloyd Jones personally discipled. Um, <laughs> uh, my my laptop that I'm running this is sitting on Lloyd Jones's pulpit Bible in my office. Like, tell me I don't know the gospel. Tell me I'm soft and weak on the gospel. Um, I'm just saying, like, it's amazing to me because I remember being hyper-reformed and thinking everybody else but me was an idiot. Mm. No one but me understood the gospel. Um, and, And you couldn't, I couldn't see it. I couldn't see how other people might, like, this is the funny thing, right? We just are doing this thing called making disciples, and I teach them all about the different gospels, right? There's the gospel of peace, which is really powerful for for people that have powerful anxiety. Um, Like when Jesus says, come to me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come, That's in contrast to the Pharisees who wanted the yoke to be heavy, wanted people to feel the pain, you know, which is what I, I believe I'm hearing. Feel the pain, you know, like you, you don't feel the pain enough, unbelievers. You know, you got what you did, you know, it's like, it's like, and Jesus is saying, hey, I'm not like that, right? Just come to me. If you're tired, if you're worn out, just come to me. I will give you rest. Take my my yoke. My, it's easy and burning, and you'll find me meek and humble in spirit. Like, whoa, so different. Right? See, I think, too, people, they equate meek, humble with accepting of sin. And Jesus <laughs> never accepted sin. He always said, repent and sin no more. Right. Like, he was very clear. Like, it's not I'm accepting you and then saying your sin's okay. And that was even one of the arguments that I was hearing from people was it's just saying these sins are okay. You know, no, it's in front of a planned parenthood and uh-uh. that's a LGBTQ Z Y, you know? And I'm like, dude, what are you talking Mercy about? Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy will always triumph over judgment. And I'm not saying you don't preach a, a judgment message. Um, I'm not saying that, but the gospel if you're looking at a ratio, you do need to preach the law. You do need to preach about God's requirements. You will. You will have to preach that. As they've invited people into discussions, um, I know that on the other end of those discussion groups are evangelists just sitting there waiting that know how to talk to people with no biblical context. Um, but love never fails, right? I mean, the Planned Parenthood, the LG, the the LGBT person with the priest, it was literally, and this is what I'm saying earlier. It was it was the parable of the Good Samaritan. That's actually what was being visibly demonstrated. And we don't know. It's like when Jesus talked to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they're trying to trap him, and he says, "You neither know the scriptures, you know, nor the the, the kingdom of God." Like. You don't, not only do you not know the kingdom of God, you don't know the word. Like you don't know the scriptures as well as you think you do. Um, and, and this is one of the things that's amazing to me is they kept saying it's ambiguous, you know, in the, in the arguments. And I, I will posit this. If you didn't have the gospels, 
and you showed up in Jerusalem, and you saw what Jesus was doing, you heard what he was saying, there was, it seemed like everybody was welcome. It seemed, according to what Jesus was saying, everybody could come. And if you're a religious person, you're really upset because you're like, well, what about circumcision? No, you can't. You can't approach God. Who may approach the Lord's holy hill? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. That's not you. Like, you would have literally had a problem with everything, and you would have said, he's too ambiguous. He's not drawing a tough enough line in the sand for people. And and go back and read what Jesus said. Like, put yourself in that position in that time. And Jesus is a lot more ambiguous than you think he is, right? Um, when he tends to get angry and draw the line in the sand and come down on judgment, it's at the religious people. Mm-hmm. And I, I know that people are going to come back at me. Yeah, go and sin no more. Yes, he did say that. And when it was appropriate, he talked to people about their sin. But more often than not, that was not Jesus's message. Jesus's message was the actual good news. That's why they're called the Gospels, right? And I hear it because I was reformed for so so many years. But you got to preach the bad news first. No, you don't always. You don't always need to preach the bad news first. Who told you that? Well, show me that in the Scripture. It doesn't say that. In fact, you know, often. Um, when Jesus is preaching, he's not preaching the bad news. Um, when Paul is preaching, he's not preaching the bad news. The kingdom of God is like this. A man is looking for a treasure in a field. He's not preaching bad news. He's preaching good news. Did he preach bad news? Yeah, he did. You know what his bad news was in the Sermon on the Mount? You need a righteousness bigger than what religious people think they have. That's bad news. And that's aimed at religious people. <laughs> so, uh, often, you know, I think we get it wrong and I think we've got Jesus very wrong. Am I a liberal? No, I'm super conservative theologically. I am. But, um, I think when it comes to approaching lost people, that commercial actually was pure Jesus. It was pure out of the gospel stuff. See, and, and that's how I look at it. I'm just like, if it's starting a conversation, what's your problem, man? Yeah. Have the conversation. It opened the door for you. Yeah. Walk and, through it. And you go to the website and it doesn't uh, nail the colors to the mast. If if you guys want to hear how we dealt with people at Refuge Long Beach, I mean, we went through Romans 1 at one point, right? I mean, and we got trans people, trans prostitutes sitting in the congregation. I remember uh, to- uh, Chris went up to Amanda and said, yeah, hey, I, I just there. want you to know. This isn't about you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he said yeah. that through her before. He's like, but this is what we're going through. Yeah. And and it's amazing, man, because um, we had so many people from LGBT, not because we were soft. I mean, we preached a full-on hardcore gospel. One of the very um, first ones. You remember the gal, the homeless gal who in the middle of your sermon goes, well, what about me? I'm a lesbian. That was our very first day. I know. Our very first day. And she came to faith. And, you know, she was, she was one of, of many, um, you know, uh, you know, and it, it's funny because there were people that were, you know, I would say about a third, uh, when we were there, um, and, and some of them were hiding it, you know, for years. Um, but, but they were there and people repented, people changed their lifestyle and it was beautiful 
Um, it, it still to this day was such the power of the Holy Spirit. And we just kept preaching Christ and who he was. And people would come to believe. And we were so strong on baptism that that was, that was the point if they couldn't get baptized. Um, they, that was the point at which all things had passed away, all, all things had become new. Um, they, they would understand through baptism, my lifestyle needs to change. They would understand through the preaching, my, but they were in love with Jesus. And it's funny because I, I can remember a lesbian couple coming and one of them wanted to get baptized and they had a child. I remember as a leadership team, we said, right, one of them wants to get baptized. The other one, um, the other one doesn't and seems scared like they're going to lose their lover if the one gets baptized and um, and they've got a daughter. And we're like, Oof, this is sticky now. There's a kid involved, like no problem, you know, but who does the kid go with? Which one's the mom? Like, you know, this is real world problems, right? And so I'm sitting there and I'm talking to both of them about baptism and what it means. And all I did was explain baptism. And so, because she's like, I'm saved. And I never saw them again after that. Hmm. But, and I remember thinking, wow, God really knew what he's doing. If I did a slip up your hand, brother, God bless that hand, God bless that hand, sister, like an altar call, no problem. But baptism, man, that was where the rubber met the road. And what was beautiful about that is years later, Bonomo tells me, hey, guess who I bumped into? bumped into something and it was the woman who wanted to be baptized. He said, you know, she, uh, she couldn't at that time, um, break it off, but her spouse was, you know, really upset and they got in a big fight about it and this and that. And he goes, and then about a year later, she started really following Jesus and she is now married to a guy. She came by my recovery group, um, she's starting to get involved. They're married. They're having a kid, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, praise the Lord, because Jesus knew what he was doing, like the gospel knows. But we we operate out of fear. And that's what I see in this conversation. People are reacting to fears. <gasps> you know, they're not going to know, or they're going to this, or you're watering down the gospel. And the reality is, man, why don't why don't you just stop letting everything be about your fears? Well, in in fairness, I would agree that there are plenty of churches that water down the gospel. Sure. I mean, we see that. And I think that's what part of the anger is, too, is, oh, this is just another one of those progressive churches. And we're going to accept every. They don't want your money. I'm like, they don't want your money. That's not that's not what this commercial said. I don't know anything about the organization. Nothing. I haven't been to their website. Honestly, I don't even care. I did. Because what I I saw, what I saw was a great opportunity to enter into conversations with people. That's what I saw. And I'm like, dude, I could care less. You use Dan Brown's Da Vinci code to start a church for crying out loud. It's yeah. like open the conversation. Like, that's what I want. It's just a door open so we can talk. You have to understand that at that time I was getting ripped to shreds by the religious community. Um, in, because of in the Wales. Brown's Da Vinci Code? Yeah, I had been on the Evangelical Committee, the Evangelical Executive Board, the Evangelical <laughs> Editorial Board for the Evangelical Magazine. I was a poster child. I was a conference speaker. I was on the circuit. 
And when I decided to church plant, I know this sounds really radical now, but when I decided to church plant, I had had that church kick me in the teeth and I never defended myself, much like Rick Warren, just never publicly said anything, just quietly slipped away. It was like, I'm going to come out of ministry. I'm, I'm tired with Christians, you know, I'm, I'm done. And, uh, and that wasn't a good place for me to be, but it, honestly, that's where I was. I think many, many ministers have been there, but the reality is, um, when I started that in the Starbucks, it was because I realized God wants to work. Like I wasn't pushing that. And I remember, you know, so many people asked me on the bar, you know, when I was at making coffee at Starbucks, you know, my accent, I tell them I was a minister and they'd say, oh, I read Dan Brown. I'm really interested in Jesus. And I'm like, okay, you know, cool. And uh, so when I said to God, look, I spent years trying to make things happen and I don't want to make anything happen. So if you're bringing all these people to me because you want to do it, you need to open the door. I'm, I'm not, I'm done trying to force things or make evangelism or save souls. I'm done. You do it. You're God. You're the God of the Bible. It's up to you. It's not up to me anymore. And I was bitter and mad at God. So you got to understand where that was coming from. And then uh, that night, I kid you not, that night I'm closing up the shop and my manager is, is we're, you know, I remember exactly what I was doing when the question came. I was flipping muffins, this tray of muffins, because we throw them out after a couple of days, flipping this whole tray of muffins in the trash. And he, that's when the question comes across. Hey, Jonesy, you know how you're uh, a minister? Would you ever be willing to do like a religious thing in here? Like a, you know, like a discussion group or something? And I'm like, all right. You know, like, dang you. You know, like, I just prayed this this morning. And God was like, yeah, you're doing this. So I realized then, because I wasn't in the way anymore, and I wasn't trying to build a church, and I wasn't trying to be a minister, and I wasn't trying to, I wasn't trying to do anything. And Jesus was just like, okay, I think I can use you now. You're broken. You don't have an agenda. And you'll just open the door for lost people with no agenda. And that's what we did. And it grew, mm -hmm. and it grew, and it grew. And people got saved. And that became a church plan. And... um yeah, I mean, I don't know why I'm talking to you about that, but it, by any means necessary, man. That commercial, you go to the website, and it starts a conversation for sure. And they invite you into these groups. That's awesome. Join a group before you judge these people. Go in, go in and join a group and see what happens. You know, pretend to be a non-believer. Throw out your objective and see see what happens. Join a couple of them. Maybe you get a knucklehead. Try another one. See what they say. I would imagine if you went through. In fact, Pete, I might just do that. That sounds like I, I think I might just go through as an undercover pagan and just see how it goes. And maybe maybe that would be a great episode. We can talk about our findings. Yeah, I mean, because even like I said, I, I don't know anything about the organization. And honestly, I just don't care. Yeah. Because I just look at it and go, look, it, it opens the door. I get to have conversations now. I mean... That's really what I want. Cause I remember one time you and I were talking about, there was this church that had um, a $3 million fish tank. Do you remember that yeah. one in their church? And like you, yes. you would walk through. Yeah, I got like, mad at that. Yeah. You didn't get mad at that. I thought I did. No, you were like, I love it, man. Cause they're oh. using culture to talk to people. And like either, you know, there's a lot of people who are going to that church just because they want to see like this massive $3 million fish tank that you like walk through as you're going. And you're like, I don't care if that's what, I mean, it brings people in and we can chat then whatever. I'm going to use whatever I can to have conversation. 
yeah. with people. Yeah. And is it how I would spend $3 million? No, I'm sure I'd waste it all on guns and ammo because I'm an idiot. Right? It's just like, you know, but this idea that God doesn't use these things to me is like ridiculous. I, yeah. It's just ridiculous to me. Well, like I said, people, people got, I went overnight from being the guy that would preach the gospel to churches. Cause I, I was, I wouldn't say I was a gifted evangelist, but what I would say is I would go preach more so at other people's church. It was weird. I remember at one point saying to the Lord, are you just keeping me humble at my own church? Like people are coming to faith. Don't get me wrong. Like amazing things happen, but I would go to other people's churches and there would just be like 20 people getting saved sometimes. And this isn't Wales. That didn't happen. Um, in fact, the church that we planted out of Lloyd Jones's, I would preach there once a month and that just built the church up like the first six months. That was everybody coming to faith, just boom, 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 just so many people. And that church is, is one of the largest churches in Wales now. And, but, but I went overnight from being like this gospel hero to suddenly being a villain because of that Dan Brown Da Vinci code thing. And it was one of the best things I've ever done, you know, um, mm. but people criticize the crap out of it. You know, the Pharisees, uh, will always be there and they will always criticize you and they will always tell you. And I, I love when Jesus looks at the Pharisees and says, you won't lift a finger to help anyone come to God. And then at one point he says, oh, he corrects it. He says, you will scour uh, the earth to find a single convert. And when you do, uh, you make him twice the son of hell as you are, right? Like you just think, man, Jesus, like he's talking to religious people. And then we can look back and say, oh, it's because there are murders. And not all of them were. He just, Jesus looked at the religious people didn't like what he saw then. We're not much different today. It's true. Like I said, if Jesus came today and you didn't know it was Jesus, you'd act just like the Pharisees. If he did and said the same things, if he told that LGBT, case in point, Super Bowl commercial, is it literally was the parable of the Good Samaritan. That's what they were getting at there. That's why it had all these people on opposite sides helping each other, washing feet. Um and we can go into the ins and outs where, like, in our conversation, they're like, well, that was disciples. I'm right. So Jesus will die for sinners, but he won't wash their feet. Okay. That's your point. Okay. And I'm not trying to be mean with the people in my group. I love the guys in my group. We're brothers, and we laugh, and then we made fun of our conversation. We love each other, but we are, you know, as one of them said, um, we strongly disagree with each other because, for me, I've just seen – if you conversations equal conversions, if you can get people conversing, that's that's the big thing. That's what that commercial was designed to do, get people talking. And like I said, it nailed people against the wall in their sin. But my first thought when I realized there was a controversy again, because we did this like a year ago or two years ago, um, and I was I originally hated it. And then I changed. I, re I I went back and rewatched it and went, oh, actually, I like this now, right? So I started off. Rewatched what? The He Gets Us commercials. Oh, okay. I start off thinking just like them, <laughs> and then my mind changed. And I remember coming on the podcast and apologizing. That's why we did the – because I made a flippant statement on one of the other podcasts 
then my mind changed and I came back on and said, hey, I just want to let you guys know I changed my mind and I apologize. And I want to do a uh, an episode on why now I think it's a great idea. And um, so I get it. You know, I get the knee-jerk reaction. But what comes to mind for me is when Jesus is eating with the Pharisees and sinners, what was the driving force of the Pharisees? Why were they mad Jesus was doing that? What was actually going on? It was that <laughs> their lemonade was just almost all lemon juice. They were angry at the sinners. I would say in the evangelical churches, the real issue isn't the gospel. That's what we tell ourselves. Oh, the gospel is being compromised. No, what's really the case is you're just pissed off at non-believers. You're pissed off at gay people. You're pissed off at um, people that are left or liberal or whatever it is. You're pissed off at them and you don't love them. And because of that, you're angry. There's more lemon juice than sugar water in your lemonade. And that's your flavor. And you're you're really angry. The, the gospel being compromised is a cover-up for, for your hate. And you miss the message of the of the commercial. You hate them and you are upset. And the Pharisees hated those people. And so when Jesus is sitting there hanging out with them, they cannot stand it. And then Jesus says, Hey, go learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Quoting Hosea 6. What was Jesus saying? What what does that even mean? Well, it's God um, when Hosea was married a prostitute and the prostitute was unfaithful and kept running out. God's like, these are my people. So we can't say, oh, well, these are believers versus non-believers. And, you know, no, God was talking about believers who acted like prostitutes. And God at one point says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Um I just want to show you mercy. I don't want your sac- I don't I'm, I don't need you to to hurt and to 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 cry and to to feel the pain. And that's what the Pharisees are mad at. The 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 prostitutes and sinners didn't feel the pain. You know, they wanted the the religious people wanted the sinners to feel the pain. You got to know God's judgment before you can know his mercy. And Jesus is like, "No, that's not what I want. I want the mercy." And so what Jesus is saying there is, I am bypassing the judgment here. I'm going straight to mercy. I am showing them the mercy and love and grace of God. I don't need them to jump through. Oh, you saying he didn't need them to repent? No, he did. But there wasn't a lot of pain when Jesus said to Matthew, follow me. There's probably internal pain. I mean, the way I think, I think Matthew was in agony and torment already. And Jesus just set him free without mm-hmm. a bunch of, hey, jump through this hoop or go do this. Or, you know, um, it's only to self-righteous people. He said, go sell everything you have and then come follow me. That guy who thought he was righteous, he showed him he wasn't by giving him an impossible task, something he couldn't do. Um, but for the first, or for the sinners and, and prostitutes, he just showed him grace, went straight to mercy. And I love that Jesus tells the Pharisees, go learn what this means. I think a lot of people need to go learn what that means when it comes to reaching the loss, because they're not going to reach a loss until they do. 
Yeah. And I think too, again, a lot of it is uh, confusing politics into this. And I would totally agree. Our society, especially here in America is going downhill in a lot of ways. And I think that's where a lot of the, the angst comes from, right? As people are looking at this going, Oh, look, we got, you know, teaching trans to kids and puberty blockers to kids. And you see what they're doing to kids and it's disturbing. I mean, it's disturbing. Yeah. And so part of that, part of that, what we might do and say in a society where, you know, I remember uh, one of the lines that Dan Sam said, he goes, look, I'm one 350 millionth Caesar, (laughs) right? Because we're a government of the people, right? Yeah. So, you know, uh, and it's like, okay, well, what I might say politically, right? It's yes, there are definite, you know, hey, I think this is wrong. I'm not saying we just go, oh, okay, this is okay. That is not it at all. No, no. But when we're talking about reaching people directly, it's not about the politics anymore. Yeah. Like, like leave the politics means, in the politics. Yeah, by all means, be politically involved and and be careful with that too. Make sure your politics aren't just one side. Because I'll say this right now: neither side completely represents the heart of God. There's a mix all. in both yeah. sides, and it's pretty easy, I think. Helping the poor? Oh yeah, that's good. Then people say, "Well, it's an individual responsibility. You really shouldn't give it to the government." Are you helping the? I almost every time I say, "Well, what do you do to help the poor?" Right. And I'm not advocating leftist policies for helping the poor. I'm just saying neither side. Yeah. Neither. Yeah. Neither side really represents the heart of God. And Jesus talked about helping the poor so much because people do it so little. And so let's not kid ourselves on that. But you're right. 100%. I would say, you know, don't, don't, uh, don't confuse this with, oh, yeah, we've gone soft on everything, you know. I mean, they broke Star Wars. They broke Marvel. You know, let's be honest. You know, everything's getting kind of swept into this weird place in our society. But, hey, you know, let's, let's, not, let's not let those things um, by any means. If you want to talk about an uncorrupted, unpolluted gospel, keep your politics out of it. Right, that was the biggest threat to the gospel. Um, a bringing, I mean, right. Let's let's talk the biggest threat to the gospel uh, in the first century. One was making it political, which the disciples kept trying to do, and number two, uh, bringing too much of the Old Testament into it. Stop and think about that. What was the circumcision group's big crime? Uh, wanting to honor the commands of the Old Testament? Circumcision? I mean, it was commanded. Uh, Moses was going to be killed for not doing it. Like God, the angel of the Lord was going to slay him. And so Zipporah goes and circumcises her child, throws the foreskin down on his feet and says, you've made me a, a, a wife of blood. You know, you're a husband of blood to me. Um, She's pissed at him. Like, stop and think about that, guys. Um, The circumcision group, Paul says, you're an anathema. And all they did was bring the circumcision as a requirement. Uh, It was commanded. It was necessary for Gentiles to be circumcised if they wanted to be Jews. And so you stop and think of that. It should make you think a bit. Huh. 
So that's how you pollute the gospel. You, you, you bring even too much of the Old Testament into it. It's the new covenant, right? Let's look at the new covenant. What the new the new covenant is not the old covenant, right? The old covenant's fulfilled. There's a free offer of God's grace to people. Well, they have to repent. They will. They will. That's part of it. You you can't have the Spirit of God in you without repenting. But we got to tell them they got to repent. Sometimes, sometimes you don't. How many people you led to Jesus and you didn't tell them the Romans wrote or you didn't? They just came to Jesus, right? You told them God forgive them. They start crying and you're like, okay, you know, like I, I'll never forget. And I know we're going really long, but I'll never forget being in a room. Guy never been to church. Comes to our home group. I've told this story before. We're trying to pick up on this girl and get her in bed, and I, I just knew it. And so I, I, I he said, "So what does it mean? Like, I think I'd like to get baptized because she was going to get baptized. She was a new believer." And uh, and I said, "Well, it means like you wouldn't come like to my house, for example, to a night like tonight, and try to get to know her just so you could sleep with her. Like that would that kind of way of thinking and way of life would be totally done." And he goes, uh, 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 uh. "You know, we're standing in the front hallway of my house." And he starts kind of stammering, and it was just like he was nailed, right? We have this Bible study. We're not preaching. You're going to hell. You need to repent. I don't remember what we're talking about, right? It was probably something about Jesus. And, you know, like Wesley said, it's probably about God, and it's probably about 20 minutes. And then we went into prayer. We would have like 30, 40 minutes of prayer in this group. And then all of a sudden— um. Jeff, who I talk about in Church Zero, he's highly prophetic. He just says out in the middle, hey, you know, I got this real strong feeling. Aaron, I know it's your first time here tonight, but I just felt like the Lord was saying, you need to be saved tonight. You need to surrender your heart to Jesus. And Aaron just bursts into tears. Oh, you know, this guy's first time at church. Oh, God, he just starts praying. No one prompts him. He goes, God, I'm so dirty. Oh, Jesus, oh, I'm so sorry. He's never prayed before in his life. He's never been to church in his life. I mean, we're talking full power of God stuff. So you got to kind of forgive me if I don't want to play with the sandbox rules because that's playing in the whitewash. Man, I, I I've seen the depths of what God does when the Spirit's moving. I don't need those rules. God doesn't need your rules, and he doesn't fit in your box, and he's not going to do what you want him to. The Holy Spirit blows like the wind. You don't know where it comes from. You don't know where it's going, and he does what he wants. But but the meme that's out there says you're not a biblical <laughs> Christian if you, you feel something different. I saw that sheepish grin coming on your face. Yes. Dude, it's because that I've seen that meme so much on Facebook. Yeah. By a lot of my Christian friends who I'm just like, are you kidding me? I'm not a biblical Christian because I want the conversation. <laughs> like, I'm just like, dude, I want to smack you people over the head. I, I want to make one, Pete, that shows uh, the, the um, what's the name, Kelsey? Because it's got Kelsey and it says, oh, yeah, um, yeah. he gets us. And then it says biblical Christians. Right. Biblical uh, Christian is Kelsey yelling at the he gets his yeah. people. I would love to have the one where it says Jesus and um and it's Kelsey and then the coaches people who think they're biblical Christians that would yeah. be I would be a, an amazing meme and I I would it might drop on that and and I'm out Pete so I know we're going super long so we should probably stop it's Valentine's Day oh yeah it is I mean not when this airs but you know 
Yeah, yeah. So we got we got romantic things to go do, do we not? Not me and you. I mean, like with our spouses. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! Any excuse to make Mitchell uncomfortable? Can we take totally it. just take our whole podcast and <laughs> shove it right out the window in a one line, right there? Did it? Mission accomplished. See, and the people that are, that don't agree with us are like, "See, see, that's what I was talking about. That's what happens. That's what happens when you compromise." <laughs> oh my gosh, man! Uh, All right. And now a message from our sponsor. At Reliant, we understand that the journey towards financial sustainability and church planning can be tough, especially when you're charting new paths. That's where we step in alongside you as a partner. With our biblically-based support raising training and coaching, we empower you to invite others to partner with you in the work that God is doing in and through your church plan. But we don't stop there. We also partner with you by handling back-end employment services like payroll, HR support, and comprehensive benefits like medical, dental, and even offer a 403B9 retirement plan. Our goal? Freeing you up to spend even more time sharing the gospel in your context. Oh, and did we mention being able to do it in a healthy and sustainable way yet? If you visit Reliant.org slash CPP today, you can learn more and also get access to the three videos addressing the questions. Is support raising biblical and applicable to today? These three videos are a preview of our training, and we hope they will encourage you as you invite others to be gospel partners with you. Our heart, like yours, is to see more healthy and sustainable church plants. You have the vision, mission, and passion for this church plant. We can help. Visit Reliant.org slash CPP today to learn more and get your free resource. Now, back to the Church Planner Podcast. And I got a lipoma. Oh, you know, we like to call those fatty popcorns in the Jones house. They're yeah. gross. Dude, I'm telling you, my, my, my little guy, he hurts. He's angry at me right now. He's yeah, on my waist. That, it's well, right where my belt goes. Before we start talking about your little guy, let's let's define what a lipoma is because that left a little too much open to interpretation. I don't know. This, you explain this it. is a family is. show, Pete. This is a family show. Although that's debatable, this is a family show. You got to explain it. You're the nurse. Um, it is a okay. So males have a center of gravity around their waist, right? Um, females have a center of gravity around their hips, right? So men tend to put extra girth on around their midsection. So that's where fat, it will always deposit at the center of gravity more than anywhere else. So you tend to get every once in a while uh, what's called a lipoma, which is a concentrated uh, little bolus, almost like a tumor, but it's fatty tissue. Well, technically it is a tumor, but it's not like a cancerous tumor. Yeah, but it's fat tissue. I mean, that's all it is really, but it's highly concentrated. It's like dense fat tissue, right? It's the so, kind of fat tissue you really want. <laughs> yeah. And what's funny is when they take them out of you, you're awake. So that, you know, like any good surgeon worth the salt. You had a couple taken out and you yeah. were joking with the guy. You're like, oh, I didn't understand there would be any uh, cutting involved today. And he was like, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> he had a student there. So uh, I'm a doctor. Uh, 
I wasn't aware there would be actually be any incisions made today. And they've got me all prepped and everything. And like, <laughs> he's like, right, I'm getting ready to make the incision. And so, yeah, it, it, it was kind of funny, but I kept like joking around the whole time because it's super awkward. And apparently I deflect to hide my pain, but, um, but why any is it awkward? Cause you're awake and they're about ready to, yeah. And you're you like, yeah. And you're like, you're naked, right? Like you, or at least like your butt's out because you know, you, they cover you, you know, it's like modesty, but you're, I got a good butt. I'm okay. I can show off my butt. It's weird. And you're like on your side and like, you know, it's not, you can't have any composure or dignity, right? You're on your side and they're like, we're going to cut your side open. And, you know, and then they do that and it's gross. And then, you know, but like I said, any surgeon worth the salt is going to, going to show you everything like, Oh, look what I took out of you. Right. Like you have to do that. Right. Like as a surgeon, if you're going to take stuff out of people, you got to put it in a jar and at the end, like I'd be really disappointed. Do they, they still use something. crazy glue to, to seal you back <laughs> up or do they, they actually stitch it in emergency situations? Yes. Um, I did get, um, I can't remember if I got stitches or sutures, but I always take them out myself. I never go. Oh, back do you really? Mm-hmm. I'll yeah. you. Yeah. I, I've sutured people. Um, I, I wasn't supposed to. You sutured I mean, your nose. I saw that. <laughs> it looks like I sutured my nose. <laughs> it, was, it was a little bit of a botched job, you see. We didn't have long or the right materials. It was at Huntington Beach Humanity Hospital. You know, it was like a little little teeny rinkety hospital. We're all out of uh, uh, suture, <laughs> so we're going to use some horse hair from down they the street. They seriously went like five miles an hour down the road. Uh, funny story, guys, my nose got almost cut off back in early or late 90s. And when the guy, uh, we've told this story before, when the paramedic came, he's like, show me, show me. And I'm holding my nose on my face. It's hanging by this small thread. Oh, gosh. And I'm like, I'm like, no, you don't want to see it. And he goes, no, no, I do. I go, no, dude, I'm an RN. You you don't want to see this paramedic. He's like, oh, I've seen a lot of stuff. Show me. So I move the towel down, and it's being held on by like this Oh, my crazy... gosh. I don't know if we can go on with the story. Okay, all right, all right. I'll stop. I'll it. stop, guys. This is a family show. But anyways, they went like five miles down the road because they're, they were like, if we hit a bump or a pothole, his nose is just off. Like, it's gone. And then when I got to the hospital – um. This facial reconstructive surgeon just happened, quote unquote, to be there. Like he was telling me how lucky I was, you know, as I'm sitting there like all med medicated up and, you know, like in and out. And he's like, oh, you're so far. I just happened to be checking on a patient upstairs. I wasn't even supposed to be here right now. And like, the, like, it's such a small hospital. And he's like, you're really fortunate. I'm thinking this is totally God. I, I, apparently I need my nose. And uh, because if they been, can't like, get it on in time. If yeah, I would have been Skeletor, <laughs> man. Like I would have had to have preached like that from then on, you know. Like you might like, have scared the crap out of people on drugs. For I would sure. have had. I honestly would have had a prosthetic nose. They would have been like, uh, "I'm not doing meth anymore." Look at this guy. It's like a finger. If you don't get it on in time, it's it's gone. And like my nose was gray for the longest time, and I still to this day cannot like i only have half the feeling in my nose because all the nerves and everything were severed so uh i could stick needles in it at parties for tricks no i'm teasing you know Pete, this is why we can't have a nice podcast <laughs> it starts out with a lipoma this is actually up. we we actually have moved smack talk to the back of the episode i don't know if you know that now we're trying to like be legit 
but I didn't tell you that because I want to still, I told, I told, I didn't Brooks. know. I told Brooks, I didn't know. well, this will be the first week, but I told Brooks, I'm like, but we have to still do smack talk first. Cause we can't switch it up. If we're not screwing around first on the podcast, we actually can't do it. Once we get serious, there's, we can go from funny to serious. You and I've never been able to go serious to funny. I don't think I want to go serious to funny. Right? I want to go funny to funny. That's funny what I, to funny. That's actually true too. We should do that today because our topic is kind of funny. But it anyways, uh, all that about your lipoma and look, I made it all about me. Let's talk about no, your no, lipoma. no. Well, my, my little point. He's he's angry. He's yeah, mad. He's I'd mad be mad right too now. if I were him. You know, he's all squished you know, up against your belt. Because so it you know most of the time by the way guys most of the time they don't do anything for it because they're like it's not a big deal it's 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 only when it's like right mine's right on my waist like right where the belt goes so he's getting all aggravated and stuff especially when i i wear a a firearm because then my belt's all tight and whatnot i want to see the meme that has brooke shields as pete mitchell that says the only thing that gets between me and my calvins is a lipoma that's what I want to see. Remember that what commercial in the eighties? <laughs> what I want to see. You remember? Uh, was it Army of Darkness or was it Evil Dead Two? And the the head came out of his his side, and it was like the evil head. It was evil ash. I want to, I want my little Apoma to start talking. I want him to. <laughs> I want him what? to be my friend. There was a movie in the nineties where this guy had this tumor. Did you ever see that? I can't remember what movie that was. It had like this little tumor that grew. On his chest, it was like a little zit, and turns it and starts getting a face and a mouth, and eventually it takes him over. It actually like it's like was starts possessing him. Was it the evil I don't dead think or, so. Or of darkness? No. Yeah, I don't think so. But it was awesome because it happened in one of those too. Yeah, uh, it, maybe it was that. Maybe it was. But yeah, no. See, he's just he's just. He's, you know, what really like set him off was, so I, I joined a new gym because I opened up a brand new one, a little bit closer to my house and it's freaking huge and has all this brand new, hey, great hey, equipment. You were too big for your old gym. A huge I, Pete deserves a huge gym. I, I was, I was the biggest guy in there. <laughs> and Are you um, serious? Well, during the hour that I went, but that didn't, <laughs> I mean. You're like, I went in that time where like they let the old people in to swim at like 7 a.m. Dude, what I love is when the the high school punk kids come in and they're like, oh, wow, this guy can lift a lot more than me. Yeah, that's right, you little punk. <laughs> I've been doing but, it a long time. But uh, so I started going to this other gym and they've got a uh, uh, a belt uh, a belt squat mm. machine. And, you know, so you put a belt around your waist. And that's when he started to get really mad at me. Like, why are you putting all this extra pressure on me? Right. Cause you know, you got four or 500 pounds on the, the squat machine and then it's all going on your, your waist, which is right yeah. where it is. And so he was starting to get mad at me. Really? And, uh, and now he's, now he's, now he's mad. Now he's mad. Wait, wait, who's he? Lipoma. <laughs> I was thinking it was the punk kid. I'm like, wait, no, oh, so no, the lipoma. lipoma was like, lipoma was because- getting mad at me. You almost squished him into non-existence. I know. I know. He's like, hey, You're I'm like, here. I was here first. That's what he's saying. He wasn't. <laughs> but he's saying he was there first. I was here first. I'm a permanent part of No, you're not. You're coming off. You don't know this yet. I'm taking you to the vet. I know, yeah. right? <laughs> what was funny? Dude. Hey, we're going so to was, the park. Wink, wink. This one guy at the gym, he's always joking. He goes, well, Monday we start the steroids. And yesterday I just look at him and I go, hey, 
as long as your doctor and veterinarian prescribe it to you, go for it. <laughs> oh, he's going to be like, yeah, oh, he's going to love those steroids. Just but it's he's the line about the veterinarian because, you know, you need a vet. To- <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. No one's appreciating my humor. Right, no, anyway. I that went right over my bald head. I did not even see that one coming. Well, because the good steroids are. I'm watching it go though. Yeah. Animals, you can't yeah. take them as human. You know, I'm kind of intrigued by that. Like people getting things prescribed. You know who famously got things prescribed by um, that? Michael Jackson. Was- Michael Jackson. <laughs> did he? I don't know much. Well, about that's him. why he died. Yes, and God Propothal. killed him for time. Every things. time we go, and Luke has to be like knocked out for surgery. They're like. Uh, we're going to give him propothal. And I go, oh, the stuff that killed Michael Jackson. <laughs> they all look at me. You know who who sadly, uh, famously, or not so famously, is Hank Williams, the original. What the did great. he die from? Well, he, he died. Surgery? Yeah, he died from a heart attack. He um, he had what Eden has, which is spina bifida. Mm. And, of course, Eden had the surgery when she was a kid because she was in excruciating pain a lot. And um, and it, it, there's a movie with the guy that played Loki in the Marvel films. Yeah. Um, Tom, whatever, whatever his name is. Yeah. And it's called I Saw the Light. It is a fantastic movie. If you like Hank Williams at all, highly recommend. But he has spina bifida. And he, he has the same kind Eden has, which is called a cultist. So um, you get this excruciating pain. So he is having to go on tour and he's complaining like, I can't go. I can't go. And I think he died at like 29. Um, he was in his 20s when he died. And uh, he, um, which is kind of mind-blowing. When you think the great Hank Williams, right? Like, you know, twinger, crooner, uh, country music legend, God, Godfather. I mean, just an amazing dude. But they would, in the movie, they show him going on tour and his manager, he can't get out of bed. He's in so much pain. And he, he, to end up getting the pain relief he needed, he would take uh, the stuff they would anesthetize horses with. Wow. So it, it just couldn't, because it's directly from your spinal cord, um, the pain. So he, uh, but in the end, he, you know, he would take everything, pills, alcohol, whatever. He was not in it. He was just trying to numb, not emotional pain, but physical pain. And so there was a lot of mythology about him. He was an alcoholic. He actually was a believer. He loved the Lord, but he was taking all this stuff because he couldn't move. And he's trying to get out of his contracts. And they're like, nope, nope, we, you got to go on tour. And he just, you know, imagine going in on tour and you've got a 10, level 10 pain on the on the pain scale and you could barely move. So that's that's what he died of was a heart attack at 29 from all the stuff he had to take. Interesting. You know, it's been interesting to watch. Have you seen any of the documentaries on uh oxycotton and the purdue family that came up with it and their whole marketing strategy no. and all that oh my they're all they're on a bunch are on netflix wow and they're okay i'll watch because okay. it is like you're just sitting there looking at this going this is like the most corrupt family i've ever seen oh they, yeah they literally figured out how to be legal drug dealers Yep, and like one of the most disturbing things is the fda which i didn't know much about it but it's literally in their case, and I guess this is done for every drug. It's literally one guy who decides yes or no on the drug. And he, he kept like going, no, no, no. And they couldn't believe it. And so they finally bribed him and said, Hey, look, you're going to approve this. You're going to approve this and say, it's not addictive. And we're going to hire you 
when you're you're done here at the FDA. And he ended up like making so much more going back and working for Purdue. Dude, Oxy was the drug of choice at Refuge Long Beach with the Addicts. Well, it probably that, still is. Yeah. I mean I was I mean for for everyone at Refuge Long Beach, I remember they would get off everything else and then it was like Oxy. And they that's what they would lie to themselves with when they would get off everything else is they would take Oxy and they uh because like you said that stigma that oh no this is this is legal it's this it's that and um and it would lead them right back i mean i i'm not, i oh, mentioned yeah. names you know of people that we minister to funny enough i was doing my nerd hobby last night in the garage and i had youtube on and it's got this playlist and i found some clips of me preaching at refuge long beach and i was at a basketball game over the weekend that i i was really bored at so i i actually uh was hitting like watch later watch later so it came up in my feed it was playing automatically man i i mean just watching some of those clips the power of the holy spirit ripping through long beach like i haven't gone back and listened to those sermons but there was i mean and i'm excited like i'm excited to preach because I know people are getting saved. And at one point I'm talking about all the baptisms we're going to do at the very beginning of the sermon. Dude, I'm like, I was listening to that going, man, I think I've forgotten what it was like at times, you know? Wow. So anyways, well, look, I had to, to go all spiritual on us. That means, uh, in, in our, not as you're listening in the podcast listener, but actually we're going to go into our topic probably now. Right. I got to figure out which button it is again. I think it's this one. If you want to reach the ones that nobody's reaching, you need to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing and have a conversation for crying out loud. Hey there, bivocational pastors. Are you tired of spinning your wheels, trying to juggle your church duties and provide for your family? Well, hold on tight because I've got some game changing news for you. It's time to unveil missionbybusiness.com, the holy grail of training programs crafted exclusively for bivocational pastors like you. We get it. Your time is sacred, and you deserve a money-making solution that won't suck up every minute of your day. In just nine short weeks, you'll become a powerhouse, armed with the secrets to launch your own business using the mind-blowing force of artificial intelligence. Yep, AI is going to be your secret weapon. Now it's time to stop dreaming and start acting. Head over to missionbybusiness.com and feast your eyes on our masterclass video, which covers everything in much more detail. It's time to build a business that fuels your dreams, supports your church, and provides for your family. Don't wait another moment. Seize this opportunity with both hands. Head on over to missionbybusiness.com now. 